what's going on out there. So I thought, well, I could turn around and take a deliberate look, which I did, but I'm such a feeler and such a, I have such a need of knowing who's out there and what the family's looking like today. You're looking pretty good. So I had a little mooch around and had a look at you and trying to sense what the spirit is saying. Because that's actually all I'm interested in. Is what the spirit is saying. That's all I'm interested in is what God's putting his finger on in our midst today. At the end of his talk last week, Rich made a statement which, um, which I was beginning to feel uh, deeply regarding preaching this today. But he referred to us in our identity being free in God. And so at the risk of sounding a bit like Mr. Humphreys from Are You Being Served? Do you remember him? I'm free! That's my posture this morning before God. That I'm free. And as we sang a couple of minutes earlier, just to test you to see if you were listening, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. As a boy, um, I was very aware of things I couldn't do. Here's a few of them. I struggled to ride a bike. I've never ever learned to ride a bike. Beware if I'm on a bike. We went to Sark on holiday once, where there are no cars, you have to ride bikes. I can ride a bike very fast in one direction, and then I fall off. That's the extent of my cycling. I've never learned to swim. A few valiant saints of God have tried to teach me to no avail. We've almost got there, but I've never managed it. Much to my two boys' frustration, well, my three children's frustration, I'm no good at skimming stones. You know, some people who can, like, stand at the edge of the sea and they're like, skim stone, they go, ping, 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 ping. I can't do that. They just go plop. I've never been able to learn how to skim stones, and I've never been able to whistle with two fingers. I'd love to be able to do that. Can anybody do that? Ah, oh, there you go. <laughs> I've never, I'd love to be able to do it. But here's one thing I could do. This will come as no surprise. I could talk. <laughs> I've always been able to talk. I mean, as in about anything, at any point, for any length of time. I was a gift to my infant school teachers because in those few minutes at the end of the day when they were packing everything away and they needed something to do for the children, they used to say, Paul, tell us a story. So at the age of five or six, I'd stand on a chair at the front of the class and tell a story. Right off the top of my head, the magic walking stick went on for weeks, I can remember it. 
and so things went on. <laughs> I could always talk if there was someone who was needed to give a speech or take an assembly as I got a bit older. Oh, Paul will do it. Every word of thanks to be given, Paul will do it. So I kind of became known as the speaker, really, at about 10. That kind of seemed to be my destiny. And then as I went further through school, I got involved in, in drama and stuff like that. And, and then when I left school, of course, uh, went to university, and then I trained to teach. Well, this was my milieu. This was my forte. I could talk. And I had an interest in drama. So I became a teacher. And I've always been fascinated and obsessed by words and the effect of words. And if ever there was a saying that should be obliterated from the English language, it is this. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Who on earth ever thought that up? How much further from the truth could anything possibly be? The power of words is far beyond the effect of any sticks or stones. Broken bones can mend. Broken lives and broken hearts, not so easily, if at all. So as a teacher, the ability to speak and use words, I used to great advantage. I was head of year 10 and year 11. So put me in front of a class of stroppy 16-year-olds, and I'm in my element, because I got an answer for them. I could sort them out. I was their year head, and strange as it might sound, could reduce them to tears, and did, just by my words. And the use of words and vocabulary became my identity, really, because that's where I found a lot of my strength was in the words that I could use. I might have been aware of things I couldn't do, and wasn't so good at, but I knew I could speak. And that's where my confidence came from as a teacher. And then things got ransacked a bit when I came to faith. <laughs> God sort of went on the rampage in my life, and is continued to go on the rampage for over 30 years now as he's turned me upside down. And he still used my ability to use words, I hope and pray that he does. But he's led me to a place of freedom which is beyond words, actually. Richard Raw says, when you know who you are and whose you are, everything else follows naturally. Wow, that's quite a powerful statement, isn't it? When you know who you are in God, I might want to tweak that a little bit to say, when you're on a journey to discovering who you are, that's probably how I prefer to put it. Because I don't think we'll know fully who we are until we're with him actually. But when you know who you are and whose you are, then everything else flows naturally. 
I met with a young leader within the last week. He's a worship leader. And as we began chatting about his life and the issues that he's currently working through, it became very obvious to me that this just isn't the case for him. He doesn't really know who he is. <laughs> and he's trying to find his identity largely through compare him, comparing himself to other people. Ring any bells? I wonder if that rings any bells with any of us. This comparison trap that is crippling because we're constantly looking at other people wishing we're a bit more like this or a bit more like that. It's taken me nearly 60 years, at which point you're meant to almost fall over in disbelief, <laughs> to actually embrace my height. And I've mentioned this before, I'm sure, because it's been such a dramatic uh, turnaround for me at five foot two. Because not only was I rubbish at football and couldn't catch a ball, in fact, if a ball came anywhere near me, I was likely to run in the opposite direction. But I was five foot two to boot. <laughs> and it's only really within the last 12 to 18 months that I embraced that aspect of who Paul Wilcox is, physically. But the journey towards embracing who I am in God and the revelation that has gone with that is absolutely astounding. So, for example, I read this verse, which is pretty much all you're getting this morning by way of Scripture, because um, I just find this so loaded. Psalm 119, verse 45. I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts I'll say it again I will walk about in freedom for I have sought out your precepts and my question is can you say that this morning can you say that You've found your identity in God to such an extent that you're walking in freedom. And that that is who you are. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, let's have it again, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Or, can I make a couple of suggestions to you about what potentially is more likely to characterize many of our lives. And I've got a couple of props to help me. Put your, without conferring, put your hand up if you know what this is. Put your hand up, if, be honest, what is, put your hand up if you know what this is. What is it, John? A game console for Xbox or PlayStation. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a controller for a PlayStation 4, right? I've had strict instructions about how I'm to handle this this morning and that he's got to go home for this afternoon. 
I chose this because I think... Well, here's an illustration. I was talking to my great pal, Steve O'Rourke, the other day. Not one to mince his words, as we know, when it comes to what God is up to in people's lives. And we were discussing last Sunday morning's talk. And I said to him that I was speaking this morning on I am free. And Steve's response in his own inimitable style was... I'm not sure how people who constantly need to be in control will ever experience real freedom. I'm not sure how people who constantly need to be in control will ever experience real freedom. I speak as a control freak. I speak as someone who likes to be in control. I like to know what's happening next. I'm a planner to the nth degree. And I have to say, probably, that's where I've often found a lot of my identity, is in planning and needing to be in control. Risk averse. And yet, and yet, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I need to allow that fact to infiltrate my controlling tendencies if the Spirit is going to work in my life. Now, I simply put that out there, and I'm trying not to look at anybody in particular. But if that rings a bell with any of you, you might want to come forward later for prayer. Because the controlling tendencies can cripple us. Suck the life out of us. Here's another little uh, prop. We love board games in our house. This is one of our favorites. Articulate. Anybody like this one? few fans of Articulate. We love Articulate. It's all about words, you see. It's all about words and describing. Listen to this. It's about being clever with words. Passionate rivalries, animated banter, helpless laughter. Articulate's addictive, rip-roaring brand of fun is simply irresistible. Every generation, from stroppy teenager to laid-back grandparents, has the same reaction. It's brilliant. We love it. And I'm pretty good at it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but the issue, the issue here for me is the need to always be right. So next to the controlling tendency, you're going to think I'm a complete mess up. Next to, the, next to the controlling tendency is this innate thing within all of us that almost finds it impossible to say three things. One, I'm not sure. Two, I don't know. Three, and this is the one that really challenges us, I could be wrong. I'm not sure. I don't know. I could be wrong. And a key element of my spiritual journey 
just over the last six months, actually. And you might get to hear more about this next week, because I've, I've almost got a mini-series going on here. I'm on two weeks on the trot. I'm going to see my psychiatrist about Wednesday, I think. But if we are serious about finding our identity in God and maturing in Him, I want to suggest to you that we've got to embrace uncertainty. Rather than it be what we consider to be the hallmark of a mature life. Because some of the most mature Christians I know have had to get to the point where they say, I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but my God is big enough to cope with that. My God is big enough to cope with my uncertainty. Now this flies in the face of somebody like me, who for quite a long time was in the academic world, teaching, knowledge, studies. That was my life. But I'm asking God now, as I move into the next decade of following him, that he'll make me comfortable and so relax in him, that that certainty becomes less of a requirement for growth. And all these three are connected, in a sense. But here's the third... Uh, thing which I feel in some ways I've had to let go of a bit is worshipping the Bible and almost identifying the Bible as the third member of the Trinity Father, Son and Holy Bible as opposed to Father, Son and Holy Spirit the Bible points me to Jesus okay and I love scripture, but I don't worship it. I worship the Jesus that it points to. And in the same way that John the Baptist pointed to the coming Messiah, so the Bible points to the returning Jesus Christ. We had a retreat a few uh, weeks ago uh, at Chapel House, and uh, it's what we do there. And I decided that we will be looking at Jonah and the whale. The book of Jonah was our text for the weekend, four chapters. And on the Friday, I was praying with a friend, and he said to me, I feel like God wants to make this chapel into like the belly of the whale for the weekend. And that the guys who come to this retreat are going to be ambushed by God as they spend these three days with him. Well, I tell you, that's one of the most prophetic statements I've heard in a long time. Because that's just exactly what happened. We did look at the literary value of the book. We did consider the context, the structure... But far more than that, we looked at what it pointed to. What does the book of Jonah point to? What message is God wanting to communicate into our individual lives now in 2017? It was a powerful weekend. 
which led to one guy saying, I'm in the belly of the whale and I feel like I'm clutching onto the ribs because I'm a bit scared about being spat out. So my excitement and passion for scripture is for stronger than ever. But it's with the sole intention of letting it point me to Jesus. So just as we head up to communion, how, many, how long have we got left? Yeah. As we head up to communion, can I just um, put these two thoughts to you? And I wonder, here's my final little prop, badges. Rich referred to labels last week. What labels are we putting on ourselves? I wonder if you've given any thought to that during this last week. What labels have maybe been attached to you or badges have you been wearing since you were a child? Maybe a lot of it is about what you can't do. Maybe words spoken over you at a very early age about what you're no good at. What are the badges that you're wearing? Is the word fear on your badge in any way, shape or form? Fear of failure. Fear of emptiness and loneliness. Fear of anxiety and rejection. See what I did there? F-E-A-R. F-E-A-R. Failure. Emptiness. Anxiety. Rejection. Or does your badge have free on it? Free. Is this your identity? Free to be faithful to the God who's called you. To the Jesus who poured out his life for you on the cross. Freedom to walk around and live your life as God has made you to be not as other people have told you you ought to be. Are you resurrected? That's the R <laughs> for those taking notes. Are you resurrected? Are you living in the power of the resurrection in your own life every day? That's the story of Jonah. It's all about death and resurrection. Death and new life. Are you enthused? You know, the origin of the term enthuse is by the Spirit. Enthusio, by the Spirit. If you're an enthusiastic person, it means you're filled with the Spirit and living for Him. And are you empowering for others? That's the last E. This isn't just about you receiving, receiving, receiving. It's about what you can receive to then give out. Does that excite you? Oh, they don't look too sure, Paul. Does that excite you? I'm telling you, if we can put the right badge on, if we can put the right badge on, we will, not only will we see a fire set alight here, but others will be drawn to it. I went to a, a gathering in Birmingham a few weeks ago, and uh, you need to hold the mic for me to do this, Paul. It's a bit of a... At the, at the, as they gave the announcements out at the beginning, the guy was telling us where the toilets were and 
where the refreshments were, and then he said, oh, he said, and you need to watch this, in case of fire, ah! I'll repeat it, in case of fire, ah! In other words, when there's a fire, whoa, what's going to happen next? We don't quite know. <laughs> so as we come to communion, can I encourage you all to pray personally that the fire of the Holy Spirit will touch you afresh that you will know the freedom that comes from walking in him and that your fear will be nailed to the cross, which is why he died, that you would be free. And God's people said, Amen. Bless you. Thank you.